0: We want to live independently. We want to be in the community, not in a facility. And in order to do that, we need both of those things. We need our health and we need a certain amount of wealth.
1: Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place welcome to breaking money silence a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money your host Kathleen Burns Kingsbury is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen.
2: I'm very excited to talk about healthy aging on the Break Money Silence podcast today, I am somebody like the rest of us who are aging, and I have a lot of very vibrant uh, older people in my life. And so today we're gonna be talking a little bit about women and one of the biggest concerns they have is how can I pay for healthcare costs? How can I age gracefully? And financially, what can I be doing now so my life when I retire and as I start to move into my elder years, will be comfortable. So today we have a great guest to help us talk about this. Her name is Dr. Vivian Brown. She's a family physician in a busy Toronto practice. She is a pioneer and timeless advocate in raising awareness about women's health issues, preventative healthcare, and healthy aging. She's an internationally recognized leader in her field. And this year, Dr. Brown was named among the top 25 influential women in 2023 by the women of influence in Canada. So we are very lucky uh, that she took time out of her busy schedule to be with us today. In addition to her family practice, she's an assistant professor, faculty of medicine at the University of Toronto, and she has a new book. I believe this is her second book, but she'll let us know. Uh, Her latest book is The New Women's Guide to Healthy Aging, Eight Proven Ways to Keep You Vibrant, Healthy, and Strong. Welcome so much, Vivian, to the podcast today.
0: Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here. And and I think it's such an important topic. Um, So really, I'm honored.
2: Yes. No, I think it's great. I want to dive right in. But before we get to kind of the specifics for our listeners, I would love to just get a little background. You know, you have dedicated a large part of your professional life to this topic. And so I'm wondering, why are you so passionate about empowering women as they age?
0: Well, I think there's two points that are really important. The first point is that everybody wants to live longer, right? Everybody wants to live into their older years, but we don't want to end up in a wheelchair in a long-term care facility, having someone have to be our caregiver. When we think about our older years or living longer, we want to be healthy. We want to be in the community, living independently. And to me, that's what preventative medicine is all about. It's about making the good choices now so that you can live an independent, happy life as you age, because we're all going to age. There's no question about that. But let's make that healthy choices and and live in an independent way.
2: Excellent. And so I know there's a lot of talk, at least in my industry, and I imagine Uh, with your focus on women in your industry as well, about the differences or the, the research and differences between men and women. So when we're talking about healthy aging, specifically, what are some of the keys to healthy aging for women? And are they different than men or are they about the same?
0: You know, that's a really good question. So one of the things that I think is really interesting is when we look at brain health, Unfortunately, 70% of new Alzheimer cases are going to be in women, and women are more likely to be caregivers for people with Alzheimer's. So when we're looking at dementia and chronic changes, we know that women are more at risk Women are more at risk in terms of certain kinds of heart disease. We get diagnosed later. We don't do as well with bypass. We don't have as much surgery. So there's big differences between men and women. And what we know is if we don't focus on women's health, on what is important for a woman to be doing, it often gets lost in the shuffle. Women tend to be caregivers, tend to be taking care of older parents and younger children. And then as they age, they may be taking care of a spouse. And, you know, Kathleen, it's really interesting. There's research that says as we age, male partners in a marriage find their spouse to be stress reducing and female partners in that marriage, wives, find their partners to be stress enhancing, you know. (laughs) As we get older, it's harder to take care of our spouse, and that is a a significant issue because stress has a big impact on health.
2: Yes, yeah, we'll get into stress in just a second, but I want to unpack a couple of things there. Uh, One of the things is, you know, when you talked about what some of the research says, and am I correct in assuming that a lot of the research, at least historically, on health issues has been done? with white men as opposed to really looking at diverse groups or looking at women populations?
0: Absolutely true. Um, And one of the uh, organizations I'm involved with, which is an international organization, it's in Canada and in the US, it's called the Women's Brain Health Initiative. And part of our mandate is not only to raise funds for women's brain health, but to educate around women's brain health. Because Historically in medicine, women were looked at being about two-thirds the size of a man. So with drugs, with uh, different diseases, with different goals, you would just estimate by about two-thirds. And what we know is women are completely different. And it's more expensive to study women because of cycles and hormones and and some of those issues. So even when they do rat models, they tend to study male rats and not female rats. Really? Um, Yeah. And this makes a huge difference because the outcomes are not the same. The way we handle drugs is not the same. Our susceptibility is not the same. And I want to share with you something that I find just really interesting because we've all been educated around COVID in the last couple of years. Well, when we look at vaccines, for example, women tend to have more side effects from vaccines because their immune system is slightly different. And it's not that this woman is, quote, unquote, complaining. She's not complaining. She's feeling side effects differently. And there's some really interesting research out of Johns Hopkins University looking at the immune system, which tends to change around adolescence. So boys and girls before puberty are the same. And after puberty, girls and women start reacting a little bit differently, in this case, to all the different vaccines in terms of side effects.
2: Wow. That is fascinating. So I'm thinking that my assumption is going to be wrong in this particular area. So I have Alzheimer's on both sides of the family. My mother had it. Uh, My father currently struggles with it. And there's certainly... Alzheimer's, like I said, going back generationally. We also have longevity with people without Alzheimer's. Um, But when you said that a larger percentage of women, which I have heard, tend to struggle with Alzheimer's and dementia, I always assumed it was because the men were dying younger. But is that a wrong assumption?
0: that's part of the explanation because men do die younger and women are often widowed and left living on their own. But even taking that into account, even taking that variable into account, women are more likely to succumb to Alzheimer's. Now, another really interesting fact about brain health and women and men is that men are recognized to have earlier signs of dementia Are often brought to the physician and may be on various medications. Women tend to have better verbal ability and so women tend to do better on testing and so because they do better on testing even though they may see in themselves changes uh, subjectively, objectively we don't see those changes on testing and so women are often diagnosed later in the disease don't respond to the medications as well, and have a more rapid downhill course. So it's very interesting when you look at the differences between men and women and how we can account for that. And one of the areas that's being researched at this point, uh, and this is being done by a, a brilliant researcher in Chicago, Dr. Pauline Mackey, is she's looking at doing different kinds of testing for men and women with early dementia, because of women's verbal abilities being generally higher among all levels of education.
2: Wow, that is fascinating. So that's something, uh, I'm definitely gonna put a link in the show notes about the International Women's Brain Health Initiative. I think that's really fascinating. Certainly you are a wealth of knowledge. Uh, One of the, I wanna get to the book though. One of the things you talk about in your book is stress and that women really need to manage that stress as they age. So when you think about that, what are the stressors that become more pronounced in women? Or I happen to know that women actually worry more than men about money. Tell us a little bit about that stress and why, and how you, how you as a woman listener, or someone who loves a woman who's out there, or as an advisor serving a woman, might be able to be helpful.
0: Well, I think one of the first things we need to acknowledge and recognize is stress is not just an emotional component of our life. Stress actually has a physical impact on our body. And this was research done out of California. Dr. Elizabeth Blackburn got the Nobel Prize in 2008 or 2009 because what she did is she took two groups of women One group had chronically ill children and the other group had healthy children. So her model for chronic stress was these chronically ill children. And she measured different aspects of their body. And she measured something called telomeres and telomerase, which are parts of the uh, body that has to do with aging. And what she found is that the women with chronic stress aged more than 10 years more than the women who had normal children or no, no chronic stress. And so chronic stress affects our immune system and our aging and our genetics, and that is really important. What women stress about often is their health, and what women stress about often is money. And the reason they stress about money is, number one, they may not have a good understanding of where they stand overall, because their partner always took care of it, and now he had a heart attack and died. Uh, Or they may understand what they have and understand that if they uh, estimate their longevity, that they don't have enough to live on. And so what we see in, uh, in Western countries, and this is true in Europe as well, we see poverty and uh, stress and decline in single older women.
2: Huh. So in terms of stress, the other thing I want to um, ask you about is You talk about both negative stress, which we just, you know, you just talked about, and you also talk about positive stress. Tell me a little bit about positive stress, because it sounds like we might want a little positive stress in our life, but eliminate or reduce as much of the negative stress as possible.
0: Well, you know, stress can be positive. I, I Take the example of somebody who's, you know, uh, studying for exams. They're stressed. They're worried about it. Their adrenaline kicks in. They do their exam. They've done well. And then they have this uh, little bit of a high from having done well at what they've done. So in that case, their stress is short-lived. It's not chronic, unrelenting stress. It's not like those women with chronically ill children. There's no end in sight. What that stress is, is really a challenge. And we respond well to challenges. And I encourage people to challenge themselves. But challenging yourself, maybe taking a dance class, you know, challenging yourself, maybe learning a new language or getting ready for a trip. And that kind of stress or challenge is healthy for our bodies. It it enhances brain growth. And it's something that we ultimately enjoy. But there's a, a real difference between what we perceive as a challenge and what we perceive as chronic stress. And I I just want the listeners to appreciate one thing. In that study that Dr. Blackburn did, she made the distinction that it wasn't how sick the children were. It was their mother's perception of stress. So it depends on how you perceive your situation, whether you feel overwhelmed and can't deal with this and it's endless and chronic and terrible or whether you see it as, this is a challenge, I'm going to do better, I'm going to learn about this, I'm going to figure it out. And so it's your perception of how you deal with that stress that has a huge impact.
2: That is fascinating. I'm somebody who's trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, and I also uh, do a lot of financial coaching now where we look at how people think and feel about money and how that impacts you know, how they ultimately are financially successful or profitable in their businesses or, or you know, are fighting or not fighting about money. Um, so that is a really interesting piece. What I'd like to do is take a quick break. Um, but after the break, what we're going to talk about is you mentioned the health and wealth are two major stressors for women. So I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into that. So we are with Dr. Vivian Brown. She is the author of a new book, The New Women's Guide to Healthy Aging, Eight Proven Ways to Keep You Vibrant, Healthy. Sorry, vibrant, happy. I keep wanting to say healthy, happy and strong. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. Hi, it's Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Breaking Money Silence podcast. I want to take a quick time out to tell you a little bit about financial therapy. Yes, financial therapy, that word keeps showing up in the media more and more, but I've been doing financial therapy for years. And in 2023, I'm gonna expand this part of my business. And I wanted you, my podcast listeners, to be the first to know. If you're curious about what is financial therapy, just know that it helps individuals and couples change unhealthy money habits, attitudes that cause them stress, anxiety, and lead them to feel uncomfortable with money. If you have trouble making big decisions, if you find that you're shopping too much, carrying too much debt, worrying about money, even though you shouldn't be worrying about money because there's enough in the bank, it may be time to consider financial therapy. The benefits are numerous and individual, but former clients have told me that they have experienced in a very short period of time, a decrease in money-related anxiety and stress, They have less conflict about money in their relationships, and they engage in more productive money conversations. The advisors that refer clients to me say, finally, my clients can make the changes in their financial behaviors in order to save for their future. So if this sounds appealing to you and you want to know a little bit more, I have a special offer. I'm offering a free 30-minute consultation to anyone who's interested in learning more about financial therapy. You can email me at kbk at breakingmoneysilence.com or you can go to the show notes, click on the schedule link and set something up via my automatic calendar. If you're listening to this, not on my website and you find that I don't wanna do that, I would rather just reach out to you directly. Feel free to use my private email at kbk at breakingmoneysilence.com and shoot me an email letting me know you'd like to take advantage of this time-limited offer. So my hope is we'll chat about financial therapy soon, and now it's time to get back to our regular programming. We are having a great conversation with Dr. Vivian Brown about healthy aging. She is a family physician in Toronto. She's also an assistant professor at the University of Toronto, uh, internationally acclaimed, and she's written a new book that we're talking a little bit about, uh, the New Women's Guide to Healthy Aging, Eight Proven Ways to Keep You Vibrant, Happy, and Strong. And so before the break, uh, we touched upon health and wealth being two big areas that women stress out. And I want to share one uh, one or two quick stats. Uh, a recent uh, report done by Her Money, that's Jean Chatsky's organization, hermoney.com, State of Women 2022 found that 58% of women worry about money several times a month. Now, one of the things that helped women worry less about money was if they worked with a financial advisor. Um, I'm sure there's other things that will help people around stressing less around money, but it's kind of interesting that if you get some support, You might stress less, but almost 60% of women are really stressed out. So Vivian, tell us a little bit more about why you think money is such a major stressor in women's life and how that's tied to their health.
0: So I, I know this is a generalization and it doesn't pertain to everybody, but overall, I don't think women have a huge background in financial literacy, I don't think women uh, spend a lot of time in their younger years uh, thinking about retirement. They're too busy taking care of kids. They're too busy taking care of older parents. And so I think women come to a certain age and realize that they don't really understand what they have, what they need, how it's gonna be taken care of and who's gonna help them take care of it. And you know, just the way I refer someone to a specialist, say an orthopedic surgeon, because they've got a back issue, I think women need the help of being referred to somebody to talk about their money situation, particularly when they suddenly find themselves alone. And uh, I see this in the practice. In the last couple of years, I've lost a number of patients to COVID, and I've got a number of women living on their own that weren't expecting to be. It was a very unexpected, sudden event for them. And so I think By not having the background, by not having financial literacy, by not having the day-to-day vocabulary to handle money because somebody has done it for them or with them and they haven't been the primary person involved, I, I think women are behind the eight ball. And when I look at health and wealth and these two things go hand in hand, I really think that the whole key is about living independently. Because We want to live independently. We want to be in the community, not in a facility. And in order to do that, we need both of those things. We need our health and we need a certain amount of wealth.
2: Yes, I certainly think that when you're widowed uh, suddenly, and that's very sad to hear about the people in your practice and you don't have financial literacy or you weren't the point person that that's really a hard thing. One of the things colleagues of mine and myself are really working at is really encouraging the next generation to get that financial education earlier, to participate fully uh, with their partners in financial meetings, um, to break money silence. Um, but you, you've talked twice about living independently and that being a really important piece. Having just helped a mother in law go through um, the independent, you know, going from independent living to uh, assisted living because there were no other options for her, I know how expensive that can be. So, yeah two things. First is, tell me why living independently is so important when it comes to healthy aging. And two, at least here in the United States, and I know it may be different in Canada, is really expensive to actually get the support that you may eventually need.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, So I want to answer that question about living independently. But I also wanted to acknowledge that as a female physician, when I graduated medical school, I had no financial literacy, I had huge debt, and I had no guidelines on how to administer and run a practice. So it's not just women without, uh, you know, secondary or, or um, university education. It's all of us, you know, uh, most of us did not have An education and a background in this area, uh, particularly as we're looking at a population over the age of 50. It just wasn't, quote unquote, fashionable. And uh, as a busy physician with children, it wasn't what I concentrated on or had time to spend, had time to to really focus on. Um, When I talk about independent living, whether it's in an uh, an assisted living facility or somewhere else, it's basically being able to make your own decisions It's being able to make your own decisions about your finances, about travel, uh, about what you want to do. And most people are anxious to stay in their own living environment. And so whether that's, uh, you know, in the community that you've been raised in or whether it's where you're living now, lots of people tend to move where their children have moved, where their adult children are now living. But the bottom line is the regimentation of a long-term care facility. The, the medical disasters that we saw in long-term care facilities during COVID and the isolation in a long-term care facility is just something that most people absolutely do not want to think about as being their future home. And so the, the concept of being independent is partly what that means to you because it's not the same for everybody, but that includes being able to make your own decisions. And that's a really important feature.
2: Well, I imagine when you have that sense that you can make your own decisions, you're less stressed out because you're more in control. That might speak to my need for control, uh, Vivian. But uh, yeah. I, I want to, I want to talk briefly about some of the tips that you have for women to alleviate stress. Now, whether that's financial stress, whether that's uh, other types of stressors in their life, you know, the, the stressors that are going to make them be unhealthy. Uh, so. Tell us a little bit, maybe share a tip or two about how people who are listening in can really alleviate that stress. I know being independent, making your own decisions, sounds like that's one of them, but what are some others?
0: So you already know the answer to this. And I would say everybody listening knows the answer to this. One of the most important things we can do is to exercise every day. And what we know is by being physically active, It increases our endorphins, which gives us a a sense of feeling better. It affects our brain. It affects our heart. It affects our muscles. It helps our posture. And so the idea of exercising on a regular basis, not being a weekend warrior and overdoing it one weekend to make up for the last two weeks where you did nothing but sit in front of the computer... Um, But exercising regularly is really, really important. And often women say to me is, you know, Dr. Brown, I understand, and we've talked about this before, uh, but I'm taking care of my, you know, my elderly parent and I just don't have the time. And what I would say is that phrase, I just don't have the time really is it's not my priority. And so by it never being your priority, by you not making the time for yourself, you are risking your future health. So I share with people that making the time for yourself is not being selfish. It's actually being selfless because you'll be healthier and be able to take care of others and be able to take care of yourself. So my number one tip, absolutely, is physical activity. Something you like, something you enjoy, something that's social and something that you can do on a regular basis.
2: And when you say social... And when you say on a regular basis, you know, part of it is often people think exercise, you know, gym, slug fest. And, and really, you could just be dancing around. <laughs> you can go for a walk. Absolutely, You can absolutely. do things that are fun. I happen to live in a resort town in Vermont. And so what is so nice about living in this town Uh, and I am in your demographic, I'm I'm 57, uh, so over 50 with a lot of friends in their 60s and 70s. And everybody is outside every day moving in some form or fashion. Sometimes it's hiking, sometimes it's skiing, sometimes it's gardening or just taking a walk with a friend. And so that's part of our culture. And what I find is I really am surrounded by a really healthy group of um senior women which is is inspiring um but i know not everybody has that so i love that piece of advice it fits in with my life um but am am i right that it doesn't have to be a slug fest it can be just you know taking a walk with a friend
0: absolutely but if you're going to take a walk with a friend be accountable plan it out What time are you going to meet? How far are you going to walk? And are we doing this Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? We're not just doing this once in a blue moon because it happened to work out. Start a pattern. And, you know, some people join a walking group or a running group or a dance class. Um, or or whatever it is that you like to do. I mean, you, you mentioned gardening. People like golfing. Walk the golf course. Don't take a cart. You know, you want to be more physically active in your day to day in your day to day function. You know, I, I had the opportunity uh, a couple of weeks ago to be at these menopause meetings in in Italy. It was phenomenal. But what we noticed is that everybody walked everywhere. There was. There were cars, but nobody was taking a car. Nobody was taking a taxi. If you had to walk somewhere, you figured out where you had to go, how long it was going to take you, and you walked. We don't do that as much in North America. We carpool our kids so they don't walk. And uh, in the big cities, and certainly in the city that I live in, you have to make an effort to walk because you can't just walk to work. It's too far. Um, and so I'm telling people, for example, in a big city like this in Toronto, w- where they take the subway where they're going to get off at a different subway stop so that you walk the 20, 30 minutes b- between subway stops instead of getting off at the closest stop to where you're going. But you want to make, uh, you want to develop a regular pattern so that your, your life is becoming more active, not that you're forced to quote unquote exercise, that you're living a more active life.
2: Yeah, I love that. It's the culture and putting it into your culture and making a commitment. Uh, Time goes so fast on these podcasts. I feel like I have so much more uh, to ask you, Vivian. But for now, what I would like you to think about is what is a piece of advice you could leave our listeners with around healthy aging?
0: Well, that's a big question. But I think that my short answer would be it's never too early to start thinking about healthy aging, to start doing your planning both financially and in terms of your health. And it's never too late to think about healthy aging. Even when we look at women over 80 in uh, in long-term care facilities, when they started to do upper body exercise, they were able to get from the wheelchair to the bathroom to the bed in an easier way. So it's never too early, but it's also never too late to start some good habits.
2: And so with that, I was debating whether to take a walk this afternoon because I woke up early and I'm tired. And now I am very motivated to get out there and take that walk because it's never too early and never too late. Um, You really are very inspirational. So tell the people who are listening where they can find out more about your work and more importantly, where they can get your book.
0: Thank you so much. So I do have a website. It's drvivianbrown.com, all one word, D R V I V I E N, brown, like the color. There's a lot of information. There's some podcasts. There's some uh, links on the site, and people have found it very helpful. I've got getting good feedback on the website. In order to buy the book, it's as easy as going on Amazon. It is available. My patients tell me they hear my voice. They hear me talking to them. It's not It's not difficult reading. It really is giving you some examples as to why something is important. For example, vaccine or why we do what we do in osteoporosis or why do we treat some people for cholesterol and not others? How do doctors make these decisions and why are these decisions important for you? So the book is on Amazon and I'm more than happy to have you go to my website, drvivianbrown.com.
2: Excellent. Well, Dr. Vivian Brown, it's been so lovely to break money silence with you and learn a little bit more about uh, healthy aging.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I think this is so important, both for women, but also for their partners. Thanks.
1: Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.